Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he could love me A sinner condemned
thank you for the life that we find in your son. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made for us. We ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would be honored by our worship and our heart's desire to know you better. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And if you're one of our kids, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. So beautiful. 
Happy Mother's Day. Had all the feels, didn't it? I assume you're not erupting in applause because you're all dabbing your eyes. How are you going to express your love extravagantly for your mom today? Or for a mom, perhaps? It will be gifts, a special meal, perhaps jewelry. What will it be? I love my mom. She's here with us today. I love my wife, the mother of our children. And I read that uh, Lending Tree did a survey last month about the average amount of money that's going to be spent on moms. The average American man is going to spend $276 on mom. The average American woman is going to spend $168 on mom. I'm not sure the discrepancy there, but um, other than we men know how much we need our mothers. Plants, flowers, special meals, jewelry, those seem to be leading the way in terms of presents. I am not going to spend that kind of money on the mother I love and the, the mother of our children. And it's made me question myself a little bit. 
my mom is a completely capable woman with a servant's heart who, who loved and challenged her four children to reach their God-given potential. She invested in us. I actually trusted Christ while sitting on the couch with her one Sunday afternoon, talking about Sunday school. Questions have been raised there. And so uh, even before I was in elementary school, I trusted Christ and began my journey, my faith journey as a follower of Jesus. So mom means a lot to me, but I'm, I'm not going to spend $276 on her. And I wonder if I love her less because I'm not that extravagant by comparison. Now, it's a different story for fathers. When they surveyed what fathers are going to spend, it went up to $361. Yes, you know, you know why. Because we know our children might not be alive if it wasn't for the love and nurture of their mothers. And so my wife, Gwen, is a woman that I love and has raised our children. She loves Jesus and she loves our children. Our oldest was five and a half years when the fourth one was born. And she taught them. She fought for them when they needed medical or educational or athletic resources. She went after them. She lavished wisdom upon them. And she is an incredible mom. Obviously, I'm quite biased. Thank you, babe. I'm not going to spend $361 on her. And so, again, I wonder if that makes me less than when it comes to expressing love, because I would love for my love to be extravagant for my wife, Gwen. So I'm going to try to express love to her in a way that touches her heart this afternoon when our family gathers. And today, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture where a disciple of Jesus expresses extravagant love in a way that touches his heart. She provides a model for us of how to love and worship Jesus she shows us the appropriate way, and, and she is approved by Jesus. As we go through the passage, we'll see that. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. And we're in a, a sermon series where we are looking at Jesus. And in this passage, we find him doing the will of the Father. We see him accepting the love and worship of his disciple. Because he's worthy of that. And we see him enjoying the fellowship of his disciple. And we even see him rebuking his 12 who have traveled with him for almost three and a half years at this point. We learn more about Jesus. And that's the purpose of our time in this series. We want to get a greater understanding of Jesus so that we might love him more deeply. And hopefully that will cause us to follow him more completely to be drawn to worship him. So in Matthew 26, we're going to see three movements. One, where the extravagant gift of love is given, the disciples' response, and then Jesus' rebuke and explanation. So we're going to look at verses 6 and 7 first, and 
I want to look at it this way, that gratitude is a great reason to gather in honor of Jesus. Gratitude is a great reason to gather in honor of Jesus. Thankfulness is the prevailing attitude of the Christian life. We see that all throughout Scripture, especially in Paul's letters, where he helps disciple us to Jesus and helps us understand how to walk with him. That thankfulness should just prevail in our lives. Now, the setting here. And let me give you just a quick sidebar. This particular biblical historical account is found in three Gospels. Unusually, it's in Matthew, Mark, and John. There is a similar story in Luke that took place, but that took place earlier in Jesus' ministry. So that one is not the same, but we are informed by Mark and John in this passage as well, and I'll refer, refer to them as well. But the setting, they are in Bethany. They are just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And as you remember from your scripture reading, Jesus often spent the night in Bethany when he was ministering in Jerusalem. So that's where they are. These are very tender times for the disciples. They don't necessarily want to be in Jerusalem at this point because they fear the religious leaders. These are very busy times for the city of Jerusalem because this is the Passover feast. These are uncertain times for Jesus and his disciples. And in the midst of these unique times, Simon the leper finds time to hold a dinner in honor of Jesus. I think it's a dinner in honor of Jesus to show gratitude for who he is and what he has done in their lives. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, we're going to stop there. Simon called this dinner to express gratitude. And he's called Simon the leper. I, I think we ought to call him Simon the healed leper. Because if he still had leprosy, he wouldn't be holding a dinner and they wouldn't be in his home, according to the Mosaic law. But he's there and he is showing gratitude to Jesus because Jesus has healed him. I'm sure like Jesus always did, he went up and touched this untouchable, this leper. And he's invited we learn from John's gospel, he's invited Lazarus and Martha and Mary, other residents of Bethany, the village of Bethany, siblings, as you remember. And certainly you remember that Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. So he has great reason to show gratitude, to celebrate Jesus and his sisters as well. And we've been introduced to them before in the Gospels. So we have three individuals along with Simon. They're extremely happy to celebrate Jesus with gratitude. Who else is at the dinner? Well, the 12 disciples that Jesus has been traveling with. They've just completed about a six-month journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. They are present and they are with Jesus. Can you imagine the conversation around the table? Asking Simon, what is it like to go from being completely ostracized and repulsed by people? Repelled by people, I guess they found him repulsive. Or asking Lazarus, what is it like to die? And what is it like to come back? Life stories are so rich. 
when we share our faith in Christ. That's one reason I love being in a, a church family where we get to see and hear about God at work and celebrate him. Well, Martha is helping to serve, which is normal in village life, and which is certainly normal for Martha, right? That's what she was doing in Luke chapter 10 when Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. At this point, Mary walks in with an exotic, very costly perfume. It's a perfume that is extremely expensive, and she takes this perfume and she pours it on Jesus. This is what we read in verse 7. A woman came to him, we're told she's Mary in, in the Gospel of John, with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Mark also tells, her, tells us that she poured it on his feet, so essentially she poured it from his head to his feet. These were not just a couple of drops, which some Jewish hosts would do at a banquet. They might drop a couple of drops of perfume on your hair, your clothing, to enhance the fragrance and to give you something nice to smell the entire evening. No. She took the alabaster vial and she snapped off the neck of it. And she poured this out. That's extravagant love. That's an extreme act of devotion that she gives as a disciple of Jesus. This is a deep expression of faith for Mary that has implications for the rest of Jesus' week. John tells us it's specifically nard, which is an interesting name. It's a plant from India. And we're told it was one pound, which is about 12 ounces. So picture a can of Dr. Pepper. She's taking that much perfume and pouring it on him. Very costly perfume. It's worth the equivalent of a person's annual salary. So just think of whatever you make in a year and taking that and pouring that out. And I am sure that for all of us, that's more than $276 and $361. This is extravagant love. Mary expresses her faith by anointing Jesus with this perfume. It's an act of worship that represents her response all that she is with an extremely costly perfume given back in response to all that he is. That's true worship, right? That's a, a definition we often use or I often use around here. That, that worship is a response of all that we are to all that God is. And that's why it plays out not just on Sunday mornings when we gather as a church family, but it plays out in our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts throughout the week. She is there and she was responding with all that she is. This is a very costly act of devotion. And we get to see a, a little bit of that personalized cost that comes with following Jesus. There's always a cost. It costs Jesus his life to go to the cross for us. And it costs us our life as we follow him. He wants us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him in submission to him. He wants us to, to quit going our way and to start going his way in submission to him. And so there's a cost. Whatever gods we have in our lives, whatever comforts we seek, 
whatever voices we listen to and obey, all of that has to be removed so that we can follow Jesus. And it's a lifetime journey of faith. And that's why we do it corporately, to encourage one another, to love on one another, and to challenge one another as we walk with Jesus. Mary has taken this perfume and she's poured it on Jesus. It's a personalized cost that not everyone is willing to pay. Even when you and I think about our own lives, we are all gung-ho about following Jesus Christ, or at least canceling hell and guaranteeing heaven, right? But then when it comes to giving up things that are very precious to us, things that we've given our hearts toward to follow Jesus, it becomes a little bit harder. When I was a youth pastor, I, most of the parents just wanted us to teach and disciple the students to Jesus, to attach them to Jesus, to follow him wherever, forever. But there were always some parents that on the side would come up and say, you know, the main thing is just, just keep them off of drugs and away from sex and, 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 and don't don't put any ideas in their heads about, you know, serving Jesus outside of this county or this state or, God forbid, out of this country. That's a cost that they weren't willing to pay. They wanted their students to stay around. They wanted to be able to see their grandbabies when they could. There's a cost to all of us that's following Je when it comes to following Jesus. Mary takes this perfume. Isn't it interesting that she takes an alabaster vial, 12 ounces of perfume that she did not use on her brother's burial when he died? This may have been a family heirloom. It is so precious to them that she had saved it. And now, with greater recognition of who Jesus is, she uses it on him. Jesus and his disciples are present as well. And we're reminded that Jesus is present because he is doing the Father's will. He is the one who had set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. When the disciples didn't want to leave Galilee and the comforts and, and, and the distance that it gave to Jerusalem and the chaos there with the religious leaders, Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem. That's the plan of redemption. Three times he gave him a passion prediction of what would take place when he was there. Jesus is the one who continued to equip his disciples along the way. Tremendous discipleship in those six months of travel. Jesus is the one who always said, I do what the Father tells me to do, and I say what the Father tells me to say. And he is the one who will go through Gethsemane and surrender his will to the Father. And he will die on the cross for the sin of the world. Rise again victoriously over sin and death. This is Jesus. He is the one who does the will of the Father. We are drawn to worship him because of all that he's done for us. He did all of that in obedience to the Father. He's given us that model to follow. Well, the 12 disciples are a study in contrast to Jesus. He's calmly going about the Father's will. Their minds and their hearts are distracted. They are scattered in thought. And they are tense as they approach Jerusalem because the religious leaders have made it known that they want to do away with Jesus. 
In fact, even in verse 3 and 4 here, they talk about their plot to kill Jesus. Ironically, not during the Passover feast, so there's no riot. But the disciples know that they are imperiled as well, that they are in trouble. If Jesus is killed, they are likely to taste the same fate. And that seems to be foremost. It seems to be the burden they are carrying. Well, Simon threw this dinner out of gratitude for Jesus. He invited his good friends. Mary took the opportunity to express extravagant love. Gratitude is always a reason to gather and honor Jesus. She took it to a higher level. And that created quite a stir among the 12 disciples. In verses 8 and 9, we see this, that the posture of our heart determines our worship of Jesus. Extravagant love starts with treasuring Jesus. So even as we go through this, we have to ask ourselves, how do we view Jesus? More importantly, how do we value him? Do we treasure him in a way that might lead to us expressing love to him in an extravagant manner? There's a contrast in approach to the extravagance of Mary's devotion to Jesus and the disciples. She acted generously. That's true worship. On the other hand, the disciples are found to be just posturing. She's got a posture of the heart that is treasuring Jesus. They are trying to look good and sound compassionate. And so this is their response as they are muttering and snorting about her action of devotion. Verse 8 and 9. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this, this act of Mary, and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. The high price was 300 denarii. John makes sure we understand that. That's the annual wage of the average worker in Israel. So again, a lot of money, right? And the disciples here pretend to care about the poor, but I honestly think their only motive is to sound good. And they call this a waste. We're, we're told over in Mark and John that Judas is the ringleader here. Seems that all the disciples are muttering, but he seems to be the ringleader. He's pushing for this. And we're told his motive specifically that he took care of the money for the disciples and he used to take from the money box for himself. And so he sees something that's worth an annual salary. And he says, that could have been in my money box. That could have been in my pocket. Disciples snort and they mutter. They're not thinking about who Jesus is or what he is experiencing at this time. In their rush to judgment, they're filled with righteous indignation. The posture of their hearts sounds practical, but really they're just dull of heart. They're filled with fear and pride. They fear the religious authorities. They want to look good in front of others, and so they sound practical. Dr. Kent Hughes says this, the disciples reveal that they know the price of everything but the value of nothing. They're not evil, but they're wrong. They're not valuing Jesus with the devotion of their hearts. Is it possible that they've begun to take Jesus for granted? 
that they are thinking that he is always with them and that they don't need to treasure him, that they don't need to be so devoted to them, to him, that Mary's act almost upsets them because it puts them to shame a little bit. By comparison, they've never done anything like that for Jesus. They fail to recognize, as Mary did, or appreciate her action, that this anointing is appropriate in view of Jesus' identity as the Lord's anointed and his impending death. They fail to understand what is taking place. And to be sure, poverty is pervasive, but they are dull of hearts. By contrast, Mary's act of worship arises out of love for Jesus. The devotion of her heart is true and pure and simple in her gift to Jesus. Uh, I like what one commentator said. He said, the beauty of uncalculating generosity is not to be measured by the yardstick of utility. You cannot enjoy or appreciate or even approve of Mary's gift to God, to Jesus. If you're looking at it in practical terms, if you think it has to be utilitarian to be worthwhile, when you think that things can be done in a more practical way and spread out over a greater distance, some people call that statistical love. That's an issue that often arises when we do short-term missions trips. Somebody will come up to me very sincerely and honestly, and they've got a point that why don't we take this $25,000 we're going to spend to get everybody to this country and just give it to the people. And the truth is that would feed many families for many months, especially the places we've gone outside of Kiev, Puebla, Mexico, Cuba. But that's just a practical look at it. That's being efficient and productive, which is one of the things we struggle with as Americans when it comes to ministry and it comes to expressing love for Christ. Because there is an incredible dynamic that takes place through an incarnational visit, a mission trip where we are face to face with pastors and their churches. And they are encouraged because God has sent someone with them, someone to them. Certainly, we leave money with them. But more importantly, we help equip them for serving and understanding God's word. And many of them just wander aimlessly. Many of them, as you well know, in third world countries especially, have no training biblically or theologically. And it's hard to get on the internet in some places and find that. And so these are great ways that God uses to affect and to encourage and to equip and to draw people to love Jesus more. And it changes those of us who go, gives us a greater vision of who God is, right? And how he works in us and through us and around the world, his global mission. It also comes at a cost when people go, because many people have to give up a week or more of their vacation time to be able to go. It comes at a personalized cost that is, comes in following Jesus, but that's one way to express love to him. It's just an example 
of some of the thought processes that go through our minds when we think about being extravagant in our love with God. When we think about being devoted to God, sometimes it runs through our minds that that's just not practical. We need to be careful that we don't go too far down that path and start thinking of what we would do instead of what Jesus would have us do or what he is worth. Mary was extravagant and her heart was right. Jesus is going to rebuke the disciples now that they've spoken up, that the posture of their heart has been revealed. And this is what we see in verses 10 to 12. Spiritual perception comes from being with Jesus. Spiritual perception or understanding comes from being with Jesus. And certainly with the teaching and understanding given by the Holy Spirit, we get that today. Mary was with Jesus more than once. And being with Jesus is not just a matter of spending time with him. Like we said, the disciples spent three and a half years with him. We know Mary was with him in other times. Luke 10, while Martha is busy serving and upset with Mary, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's being discipled by him. She is learning from him. She is listening to him. She is hearing so that she might heed, so that she might obey him as a follower of Jesus Christ. Being with Jesus means to be focused on him, listening to him, processing his grace and truth, allowing his spirit to work. Mary's time with Jesus gave her a much deeper understanding than the disciples were manifesting. And I don't think Luke 10 was the only time that she did the best thing, according to Jesus. We know that they were good friends, Lazarus, Martha, Mary, and Jesus. I think she looked, listened to him a lot. This is what we hear Jesus saying in verse 10 as he begins this rebuke of the disciples for their lack of spiritual perception. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. Evidently, he hears them muttering. Evidently, they were muttering loud enough that Mary would hear it as well. And Jesus steps in, he intervenes here, and he says that Mary has done a, a beautiful thing, a good deed. He elevated the response of Mary over his disciples. She has shown love and gratitude to Jesus in extreme measure. The disciples just argued and debated whether it was a responsible act or not to love Jesus in this way. It certainly was not practical. Jesus continued in verse 11, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. What the disciples call a waste, Jesus calls beautiful. It was beautiful because she had abandoned the things of the world and the treasure of this expensive perfume to give to Jesus. It was a beautiful thing because she knew she had Jesus. And I, I believe that she, more than the disciples, understood his passion predictions. That what was impending with the religious authorities, she saw, saw those storm clouds of opposition gathering in Jerusalem. And she understood things to be near a boiling point. And she wanted to give Jesus her all. She knew that Jesus would not always be physically present with them. 
the disciples were distracted by debates about where they would serve in the kingdom. Who is the greatest? Who is going to sit where at the table? Mary was focused on Jesus in the time that she would have with him. As I read this, I, I thought to myself, in my own personal focus of being with Jesus, my own personal time of learning from him, uh, of being discipled to him, by him, through his word, through prayer, through meditation on the word. And it came to mind that I take him for granted sometimes for the flip side. I know I'll always have him with me. And so I can go to him anytime I want, right? Anytime I need him. That's real practical on my end. But it's not what Jesus would call a beautiful thing. Now, in his grace, he lavishes himself upon me. He meets me. He sustains me. But if I was going to mimic Mary, I would treat my time with him with greater focus and greater understanding and allow him to stir my heart because of who he is and what he has done. The disciples have called this a waste, but they're too distracted to treasure Jesus. So they resort to what is practical. And Jesus takes it to another level when he praises Mary next. He says this in verse 12, For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Prepare me for burial. Jesus treasures the spiritual perception of Mary. The disciples, that had to arrest them. That had to cause them to close their mouths and to take notice and to ponder that. Because I'm convinced that they still have in mind that he's here to restore the Davidic kingdom. That he is here to restore the glory to Israel that hasn't been known in centuries. And that because he will be king, they will have high places of honor and responsibility and privilege. Scholars debate whether or not this was intentionally an act by Mary, whether or not she fully understood that. I have come to the point of believing that she did for all the reasons I gave earlier, that she listened to Jesus, that she understood, that she was constantly wanting to know how that would play out and how that applied to her life. And I think that's what erupted in her heart. And she could be so extravagant in her love with Jesus. Jesus implicitly reveals something else about himself here. He does not dispute her work. He's making a high Christological claim that he is the Messiah. He is the Lord's anointed. He accepts her lavish outpouring of love and devotion. This one who is gentle and humble of heart, as Jesus described himself earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, is saying, I deserve this. He's letting us know that he is worthy of this worship. She poured out fragrance or perfume upon him. 
and it's interesting to ponder as much as she poured out and as expensive as it was, did that fragrance stay with him throughout the week of the Passion Week? Mary received the approval and appreciation of our Lord. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus delights in our worship. Jesus delights in spending time with us. We've seen extravagant love expressed by Mary and welcomed by Jesus. Her act of devotion, love, and worship is a story that will be told along with the gospel. And this is what we read in verse 13. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Why does this story perpetuate? Because Mary expressed her love for Jesus. That love came out of being filled with listening to him, understanding him, being drawn to worship him. Mary is giving us a model of what it looks like when a life is changed by Jesus. Started with a dinner of gratitude. Became an incredible time of worship as she poured out this perfume, her extravagant love on Jesus. What happens when the Savior gets a hold of your heart? How extravagant does your love become? I want to challenge you to respond to him with extravagant love even this week. And I want to close by going back to the Lending Tree survey about Mother's Day. They asked the mothers, essentially, what would be extravagant love to you? What kind of gift do you want? And the highest rated thing was a card. And so you know that today many women are going to receive cards with stick figures and misspelled words, and they're going to love it. Why? Because it came from their own. And so in the same way, we need to go to Jesus with it. Whatever love we have, he delights in you and he loves you. The second highest percentage of their desire was quality time. Time spent with you. That's what moms want. More than your money, they want time with you. Instead of your gifts and presents, they want your presence with them. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think that holds true with Jesus as well. He doesn't need us. He's perfect and eternal God, unchanging, self-sufficient. But he loves us. And he has devoted his life and ministry and his continuing ministry in heaven toward us. And he lives in you by the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. And so I challenge you to find ways to spend time with him, to let him fill you, to reflect on all that he has done for you, that you might express your love in extravagant ways for him. That may play out in any way, money, time, energy, love, service to others. But spend by thinking time about him first and time with him and let it flow out of that. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing this week to sense Jesus saying to you, you have done a beautiful thing for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much and that you would give us this recorded account 
of what took place six days before you went to the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the love of Mary and the model that she gives us and your approval of that to show us that this is an appropriate way to love you. And so we ask for the grace not to take you for granted, but to hear from you, to experience you, to reflect on your love for us. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. stand together.
of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all Thank you for being with us today. Have a great week and happy Mother's Day.